0: three two one hey happy father's day should i be saying that or should you be no no no. you shouldn't be saying it to me you should be saying it to your dad well,
1: i'm saying it to you because you are dad happy father's day to zoe yeah. i mean from zoe yeah that but shouldn't be zoe isn't it
0: yeah it is confusing
1: yeah
0: i mean you don't say happy father's day to someone's not i guess maybe you could couldn't you
1: well it's a celebration of fathers
0: i don't know i think i'm just hypersensitive to following all these rules lately
1: there are a lot of rules lately. Too Enjoying. many. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to keep track of
0: I just keep my head down and just do what I'm supposed to do. And enjoy your Father's Day. And stick to my knitting. Yeah, well, thank you for making me breakfast and, you You're know, welcome. my uh, equivalent of a lot of coffee. But that's about what it's I need nowadays to get started. Coffee. Yeah. I mean, there's, well nothing wrong with there's nothing wrong with that. Coffee is the international drink of hope.
1: Hey, it is the elixir <laughs> of life, to be sure. It
0: is. It's Well, so happy Father's Day. Here we are on Sunday. And for those of you who are listening to us for the first time, um, yes, this is Tim Tim and Julie Harris. This is our Sunday debrief. This is where, you know, yeah, granted, we have the number one daily listen to podcast for real estate agents in the nation and all that. But on Sunday, it's a little bit real estate. It's a little bit rock and roll and a little bit wherever the hell we want to talk about. And the funny thing is is we haven't done too many of these podcasts, maybe the Sunday ones. I think we've only done maybe a dozen of them, and we've done thousands of our other podcasts, and they're available obviously on Stitcher, iTunes, our main website, timandjulieharris.com. But the ones we're getting the most feedback on are these Sunday ones. So, hey, for those of you guys who want to listen to us on Sunday, as Julie and I go through our little defrag at the end of the week getting ready for a new week, you're welcome to join us, and we appreciate the company. So, Julie. Yes. Interesting week. Yes. Kind of a boring week overall.
1: That's okay. It's 2020. We'll
0: take it. I know. The world's moved on from, uh, what is it called? Carnivorous virus? Oh, no. Coronavirus. Exactly. Moved on. In spite
1: of, you know, what's really happening with it, I think people are just exhausted on it. Yeah. Ready to get on with
0: it. I know. That's the problem with having, uh, you know, 24-hour news cycles is basically people can't. It is kind of shocking, too. I mean, not that I want to talk about the you know, coronavirus. But it is seemingly in some markets in some parts of the country it's actually the it's pacing to have more cases than there were even uh, back in, you know, February, March, April time frame. Yeah. And now people are like, you know, we don't know quite what we're gonna do, but what we're not gonna do is we're not gonna be locked down again and you're not gonna shut my business down again. So it's fascinating mm-hmm. how I think the I th- maybe it's and here's what I'm telling myself, maybe it's just because um people have better now better understand the nature of this virus mm-hmm. better understand um, essentially the lethality of it mm-hmm. and the types of people that are going to get sick from it and all the rest of it so I think now that we have this added information it's not going to have even if it you know there are a lot more cases which inevitably there will be I really don't think there's going to be much call from a, even a political perspective or certainly from a normal people perspective to have any kind of you know, draconian measures like there were last time. I don't think there will be a, a tolerance from it from mm-hmm. a lot of people, and I don't think there'll be much of a, a need, frankly. From now, the medical community, of course, is going to beat their drum because that's what they're supposed to do. You know, it's sort of Good like job. the sort of like the weathermen. You know, they get really excited every time there's a storm coming. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's their thing. That's our opportunity to be on stage and everyone to pay attention to them. There is a little bit of that ego, but at the same time, um, I think at the end of the day. There are innate risks with everything you do in life. Yes. I mean, here we are, essentially doing our podcast in Puerto Rico. It looks like it's a beautiful day, even though we're living under a Saharan dust cloud. Whoop, wait for it. <laughs> Julie wants to talk to you guys about that in a second. Yeah. But there's inherent risks in everything. That's and, you know, I think probably people got a little bit bored with being nerfed up. Yeah. You know? told sustainable to, really. Told to stay in their safe place. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's unsustainable. And I'll, I'll say, it's even fascinating... You and I were sort of doing our best to be observers of it starting back in February, March. And you and I heard about this thing in January, but we talked about it a little bit on the podcast. didn't take it too seriously until actually your birthday, ironically enough, early March. But um, it is fascinating to see how uh, sort of there's been this like predictable almost to the month or to the, to the week, rather, reaction to it. And people were praising us because we were telling them what was going to happen next. Um, and you guys want to know where we're getting our information because we just read what happened and what's happened historically when similar things have affected you know civilizations and it's all very predictable and what's predictable now or what's happening now in not direct result but what's happening now with all these of uh, the social unrest we, guess what we told you guys that was going to happen in early march how do we know it's going to happen we didn't know there was going to be any sort of You know, it wouldn't be race related, but it was going to be related to something. It's inevitable because when you force people to, you know, essentially be in quarantine for long periods of time and force them to change their behavior and keep them in a state of being fearful, after a while, they're going to get burned out on it and their natural unchecked reaction is going to be um, pissed. That's what it's going to be. It wasn't
1: just the lockdown. It was people losing their income or the security of their income, the potential of their income. So you know, it's one thing to be locked down. I think the first week or two, when everybody thought it was only going to be a week or two, it was like, all right, this is this is a little break. I can deal with this. Let's burn through eight hours a day of Netflix. Let's let's have a little forced staycation. And then when it became you know more of an economic situation, then the, that's when the stress occurred. And I think you can see it in how people are reacting to that and taking to the streets and. You know, it was predictable. Sadly, we don't want to be right about these things, but historically, you can point to previous precedents for it. So, you know, I think we've got to look for a path forward, and and hopefully, the second half of twenty twenty will be better than the first.
0: Yeah, and we're already seeing indications of that. And, and I think Julie and I are still justified in sticking to our prediction, if you want to call it that, that going into next year, it's going to be a completely different economy. Mostly, we obviously we're not, you know, we're not going to be able to give you very valid information on really anything outside of our wheelhouse and sometimes we even get that wrong but i think one of the things we're confident in is that we're definitely going to be in a different economy and definitely going to be in a different and by different i mean probably a protracted recession um i did listen to an interesting peter schiff podcast about Mm -hmm. that i'll share it with you Mm -hmm. um so he was his prediction is well i won't say what his prediction is as far as who's going to win or lose the election in Mm -hmm. november because then people will say we're being political and i'm not going to run into that nope Yeah, exactly. You guys just love to look for us to talk about anything political, so you can criticize us because we're not in your camp, and we're not going to do it. But so his theory was is that we're going to have a, um, you know, right now we're having uh, Trump, and then it's going to be followed by an overcorrection, which again makes total sense Mm -hmm. to the uh, left, and then he thinks we're going to essentially balance out. And be in the medium somewhere, so that so that's Sorry. his prediction, right? So what's those? What are those things that people used to put on their desks? The long things hanging from this big, you know, scale or the, no, no, ding, ding, ding. Oh, yeah, you, you guys the, are balls, you the balls Yeah, dragon. the balls, and they would I clink one, and, and they would vibrate through, or they're you, magnet balls, basically. I don't think they're a magnet. I think they just did it based on weight. That. Anyway, We're yeah, out we of our sh- wheelhouse again. right exactly. See how quick we do that, listeners. It's so that is-
1: ball thingy that hangs on your desk and it goes back and forth until it balances out to center. It's yeah, that thingy.
0: Or you can just think of it as basically <laughs> a you know a, a teeter totter in essence. Okay, let's just say yeah. a perfectly balanced teeter totter. If left to its own devices, no wind or anything else, it's going to eventually basically level out. And so that's really what we're seeing right now. We're seeing this overcorrection, or maybe this is history. I'm not necessarily agreeing with it, by the way. I'm just telling you history, because I'm going to relate it to uh, the economy here in a second. So uh, one, the you know, essentially the tug of war. <laughs> we can keep on throwing out analogies for you guys get the visualization right. So the tug of war what goes really far to the right, and then all of a sudden the tug of war is going to go really far to the left. And then all this, then basically it's going to balance out and it's going to end up somewhere in the middle. Because people are going to get, again, his theory, people are getting a, a, a taste of what um, you know, Trump is all about. Then they might get a taste of what Biden's all about. And it's not just going to be Biden, obviously. It's going to be Biden and a lot of other um, folks on the left, which are going to be pulling the country towards socialism. Again, not giving you our political views because we're not doing that. Um, And then what will happen is people will say, well, you know, maybe right now they're saying, well, you know what, this Trump thing and this maybe uh, this return to Trump's version of, you know, what it's like to be Ronald Reagan, maybe that's not for me. Or, you know, there's a lot of people that are obviously opposed to it and opposed to his philosophies and really opposed to his approach. So there might be a a reaction come November where people are going to vote for the other side. And then people are going to say, well, you know, we thought, you know, Biden was a little bit neutral, a little bit more, you know, I don't know what the word would be, statesmanly, I guess. And then turns out that he was, you know, this is his theory. This is Peter Schiff's theory, not mine. That the Biden was just propped up by a bunch of essentially left-leaning socialists. And now that he's in power and you know the socialists are really gonna come out and play and then you know we're gonna see all these government programs and then leading to the economic ramifications of it it's uh, Peter's theory that as a result of all that you're then gonna see a massive economic crash because um, the world is not going to necessarily trust our country as being the essentially the international reserve currency and that's what the US dollar is now with that said I want to give you guys a little background on Peter, he always has said that. His theory forever has been that the U.S. reserve currency is going to have to go back to a gold standard, and he's more or less attached every single thing that's happening in the economy to reinforce his viewpoint on that. Now, it doesn't make him wrong, it doesn't. It might make him early, as he's often he often you know points out that he was he was he's not wrong about his predictions. He said he might just be early, maybe by two years, by three years, by you know five years, but that's his theory. And so that after you have this sort of tug of war going back and forth, you're going to end up in this place where you're going to have a you know essentially a more traditionally run uh, economy by a more essentially traditionally run set of politicians who realized the greatest strength of America is the American's ingenuity and capitalism and the things that made us strong in the beginning. And okay, now we've exercised, you know, this end of our uh, political viewpoint. Now we've exercised that view- end of the p- political viewpoint. And let's go back to something that we know works based on, you know, yeah. 300 years. What's Moderation. Your, what do yeah. you think?
1: Well, I think it is the natural way of things. And it seems to me that uh, as far as economics go, you, you you know, you've got multiple sides to this. You've got social impact, you've got economic impact, but as far as the economy goes, it seems that when things are more moderate, a little bit more in balance, that more people are happy, more people are in, are employed, and the machine works better. That's just my, you know, non-economist outlook. Um, but, yeah, and I, I think you can draw parallels to the housing market, too, because, you know, right now, this moment in time we have bidding wars and low inventory and you know that's not sustainable either there's such pent-up demand um, you know i was encouraged by an article last week that the builders are coming back and the uh, new home starts are up so you know it, it's a process you've got to go really far one way to come back the other way and it, it will be a natural thing that happens i think
0: i appreciate you wanting to keep short term and you know to the next six months because that's what's you know benefit our podcast listeners the most yeah. But just sort of summarizing where Peter thinks it's all going to come off the rails, mm-hmm. basically, in addition to the you know global reserve currency thesis that he has, the other thing is he was par- you know, drawing parallels to is when um, Jimmy Carter w- was elected president. Mm-hmm. And I barely, I mean, Julie and I were just little kids then. I And I think when he was elected, I was like five or something. I
1: remember watching him. Be elected on yeah. TV. That's probably my earliest political memory.
0: Now, just to thought. draw parallels to Jimmy Carter and uh, Donald Trump, which sounds bizarre to even you know say that, but Jimmy Carter, in his own way, was elected to essentially clear out you know the, the clean out the swamp, as kind of you know using modern vernacular. And it was right after Richard Nixon. So Jimmy Carter comes around right after Richard Nixon, and Richard Nixon was a Republican. So everybody was just so burned out on all of that that they, you know, decided to go a completely different direction. And Jimmy Carter was an outsider too. He wasn't even a mainstream politician, but he had enough of a zeal about him, and he was completely the opposite of what everyone has exper- had experienced. He had, uh, you know, he talked in this sort of southern gentlemanly type way. He had this nice way about him. He was likable. He was okay. I mean, you, you guys
1: acceptable c- alternative that people could embrace because he's right. like a nice, normal guy, and you know, get yeah. away from what they had been. Into for the past years,
0: and so what does he? What does he do? Is he basically rolls in, and the economy becomes worse than it ever has been before because for a lot of economic reasons, and that he maybe had the negative momentum of having to deal with when he became president, and he was a one-term president. Um, and Peter's thesis is that you know that might happen to uh, Trump as well. Again, we're not saying where we are politically. I'm just saying what Peter Schiff thinks. And Peter Schiff, by the way, is somebody worth listening to. So. Um, then what did it get followed by? It, uh, essentially, stagnation. Where stagnation, what that, what that essentially is, is when you have high inflation, and at the same time, you basically are in a recession. When you have high inflation and a recession, and you have to do some really crazy things to get the economy moving again, because people are just afraid to spend money and they start saving money. And there was an article actually that I read this morning, that the banks are reporting some of the highest individual savings rates Hmm. in like the last 15 years. Mm -hmm. So people right now are saving money like they never have before. The stimulus checks and whatnot that were being mailed out, people are saving it. So Related
1: to that, I read something that said credit scores are also going up, not down. Yeah. Isn't that interesting?
0: Okay, so if you watch these forward-facing indicators, you get the real clear sense of what people are actually thinking. What people might say... Um, it you, you can't really trust it, can you? But you can trust what they do. So if you run into somebody who says they're going to do all this and do the other thing, okay, whatever. You know, It's the old saying, you don't judge a person by what they say, you judge them by what they do. It's mm-hmm. the actions that they take. And so, yeah, look at what people are doing. They're saving money again. And, and more people that have never saved are saving. So why? Mm-hmm. They're fearful that basically what's coming around the corner is not going to be, um, you know, it's going to be something worse than what we're experiencing now, and that is in the unconscious you know minds of so many people that it'll inevitably become true because that's the expectation when enough people think something's going to happen, especially as it relates to spending money yeah. it's going to happen
1: the collective unconscious starts to rule
0: exactly i mean there's there's tons of research that's been done on that, so just rounding out peter's you know hour long or two hour long podcast. Paul Volcker became the federal the the uh, Fed chairman, and this was back when Ronald Reagan ends up getting voted in. So people got sick of, you know, Jimmy Carter and the horrible uh, economy, and there there were also he was dealing with the hostage uh, thing in Iran. He was dealing with uh, gas shortages. There were gas lines. There were food lines. The economy was in shambles. Businesses were closing up. I you know, it was just horrible. And so and the interest rates, by the way, were super low. So what did um, Volcker do? He ended up raising rates and there were when Ronald Reagan and Ronald Reagan, guys, you have to know, was remembered as one of the greatest presidents ever. Now, why? Because essentially during his ending up eight years as president, he was able to do the hard work. He was able to say the things and do the things that were not popular and Volcker, who was the Fed chairman, was essentially one of the most hated people in the face, on the face of the planet because he kept on raising rates. And rates, interest rates, listeners, and I hope, you know, again, this not we don't have to deal with this, but were a double digit when uh, Ronald Reagan was president. It were, because what they were trying to do is they were trying to essentially slow down the you know, inflation. They were trying to slow down the spending and the borrowing, and they were trying to slow down the whole thing. They're putting the air brakes on and throwing out the parachute, right? And they were doing that because we are experiencing stagflation. They were just doing all these things that were necessary, but that's a that's an interesting little you know historical historical perspective that Peter was sharing. And I, I think it's fascinating. I mean, we might be going through another phase that's just like that. But one thing for sure, guys, what we're experiencing now is. It's getting ready for what's next. What we're experiencing now is the last hurrah of a great sort of seller's market. And what we're entering into next is going to be more of a normal, um, you know, I think a normal buyer's market, dare I say.
1: But passing through the difficult bits, which is the transitioning market, that's always the hardest on agents, I think.
0: right. And that's
1: why, you know, we've been talking on our normal podcast about the importance of, you know, we grew up in the Midwest. It's called make hay while the sun shines, people. So, you know, and so what does that translate to? You have to just to bring this a little bit back to real estate is, you know, you've got to set your goals bigger this quarter. You've got to save more. You've got to make sure you're staying up on your taxes. You've got to be prepared as if the, you know, I mean, we already are in a recession. It just hasn't hit the housing market as of yet prepare as if things will get harder to sell, prepare as if you're going to have to learn some price reduction scripts, you're going to have to counsel your sellers, especially your sellers and sometimes your buyers, who in a transitioning market will get a smell for that and think that they can just beat sellers down. And meanwhile, the sellers are not down with that yet. They still think they're gonna get their highest price and the agent gets caught in the middle. So you've really got to get your skills ready to rumble. And gosh, I hope we're wrong about that. I hope it's Fast and Furious for a long time and it's great. You just uh, get actually, these offers.
0: Truthfully, I don't. But
1: And, and I'm with you on that because yeah. I would rather see, ultimately, I'd rather see a balanced market where yep. it's one buyer for one house. you got about a 60 to 90 day marketing time. While it's for sale, you get some leads. One listing turns into the next listing and it's a nice, calm, non-hyper. Non, you know, beat on back and forth with multiple bids. I, I think it would be nice to have that for a while. And you know, the thing is, Tim, there's a whole generation of agents that have no idea that that can even happen. Because well, for 10 years, it's been maybe not like this, but close to this.
0: When Julie and I started selling real estate, I know I tripped down memory lane here. It was in the early <laughs> 90s, basically, right? And When we sold real estate, at least where we sold real estate and when we sold real estate, houses were not seen as the winning lottery ticket.
1: No, they were not like looking at your cash in your bank account.
0: Right. And that's changed when basically the Fed decided to um, lower interest rates, change. Mm -hmm. I think it was actually George Bush Jr. Um, It was... The, you know, presidents before that, but I know when Bush Jr. Uh, came into office, what he really loved to brag on the homeownership rate. That yeah. was a big thing. A big and thing. so when they decided to... And, and look, I get it. One of the surest ways forward as far as you know, gaining wealth in the United States has always been owning a home and always will be owning a home, right? And so the politicians got together with the Fed and the banks and the lendings and standards and all that, and they said, let's make it so that everyone can own a home. And then what happened is basically... Um, homes became or real estate in general became something to inflate so it's a great that's uh, the wealth effect right so if you have equity in your house or you have equity in a house you can borrow against you're gonna always basically feel like you're wealthier than you are and essentially you get sort of the benefit of this inflating you know real estate bubble or whatever it is and there's been inflations in so many different little market segments not just real estate um, I you know we'll I don't want to bore you with all the other things, but what essentially happens is people will start running to a specific you know asset and start saying, well, holy crap, you got to buy that because that's the next thing. Mm-hmm. It's going to go up in value. You know, uh, we you could talk about real estate, but you could also talk about art. You could talk about cars. You can talk about certain things that don't really make sense as something that's going to be a safe haven or where people are going to rush to. So if everyone's, for example, if if like it's the tulip thing, right? Mm-hmm. Let me talk about that.
1: Well. Uh, The Dutch tulip craze has been written about. I want to say it's 16-something without looking it up, um, where tulips were the thing. You know, you had to invest in tulips because that's the next upcoming thing, and they sold for just outrageous prices. Um, And then, of course, there was a tulip crash. Well, Because, you know, once everybody wants something and the price gets driven up, it, it can't go on forever like that it has to first flatten out and then it'll adjust downward
0: bulbs were tulip bulbs of all things guys were selling <laughs> for, at auctions for just outrageous amounts of money and if they it was were a thing. if they are hybrid tulips that had multiple strains of colors well, and some patterns
1: beautiful ones were invented was they were trying to get the next most exotic thing you know I, I heard a, uh, a, an NPR story about there is a similar phenomenon I think 1800s or something like that, about bird feathers, right? Exotic bird feathers for hats. And then more recently, there's been a thing about the most exotic bird feathers for tying flies go for like an outrageous amount of money.
0: So, back when the tulip craze was going on, there was no fed. There was no printing yep. money. there was no credit regulation. no and there was no uh limit to how many people could have money so now you fast forward to our era and like especially the last twenty five years well, probably fifteen years and your what has happened is the fed's made it easier for people to borrow money um, and there 's been more money for, to spend you know because there 's been constant money printing because it 's a fiat currency it 's not based on gold or anything. And so back in the tulip thing of the 1600s or whatever, you had a handful of rich people that were buying tulips at auction. It was the thing to have, you know, your tulip bulbs and the whole thing was, you know, whatever. We make fun of it now. But the same thing is true with so many other different things, except now you have a billion different people that are buying um, off the same sort of frenzied Uh, Thing of not wanting to miss out, right? Fear of missing out is one of the greatest motivators. And you combine fear of missing out with the idea that something's gonna be worth more than what you paid for it tomorrow, that, you know, in other words, you enter in greed, then you have a bubble. And that's what we're experiencing, not just in real estate, but we're experiencing it in so much virtually everything you can think about. There's a, there's a bubble that occurs. Sometimes the bubble lasts only for a few months, other times it can last for years. And just since, essentially, say 2008 or 2009, when the printing presses really started in earnest and the Fed started doing all the quantitative easing and there became what the money does is it rushes to different little asset things like you know for example I'll just some of you guys are gonna roll your eyes when I talk about car stuff but old gas pumps for example you know those things were just selling for an absolute fortune for a while old freaking nasty ass gas pumps right people were restoring them they're selling an auction for ten twenty thirty thousand dollars and sometimes the rare, really rare ones were going for more And then you'd see, and then all of a sudden, uh, enamel uh, gas station signs were selling for a freaking mint. I have, Julie and I have a a barn in Texas where we have old gas pumps and we have old, um, you know, signs that we paid nothing for, basically. You know, one of our gas pumps, just to put it in perspective, we bought, because I've always liked that, you know, weird stuff, and we bought it at a a, uh, garage sale in New Albany, back when Julie, it was in the late '90s, and it was in the basement of this house, and it, you know it, was, it had been restored and whatever, whatever. It was an old clock face gas pump, and I thought it would look great at our house. Julie sort of rolled her eyes and put <laughs> up with it, <laughs> but I, you know, we kept it this day, and it's then cool. it, it was what 15 years later. The stupid things are worth like 25 grand, know, and crazy. and now it's worth probably who knows half that. But the point of it is, why the hell would a stinky old gas pump go from being worth nothing to all of a sudden being worth that much just because people started watching American pickers and people had access to money and I've always wanted an old gas pump and then all of a sudden... it's a
1: place to park money too. I mean, I think that's your original point is it's an asset class essentially. I was just reading about uh, Tulip Mania was the first, it's generally considered the first recorded speculative bubble. And so, you know... There's all kinds of things, but I think that that's an indication that people are maybe not wanting to put all of their money in the bank.
0: Right. Well, so, so this is the reason I'm, we're talking about all this. this is where our wavelength, is, our thoughts are going. There's been so many other things, and you guys may have bought into bubbles and not even know it. There's arguably a bubble in the stock market right now. There's arguably a bubble in just about every conceivable thing because everybody has access to money. And, you know, and I do mean quite literally, compared to even 15 years ago, it's so much easier for most people to get access to money. And, and then they, where, what am I gonna buy? What am I gonna rush to? You could say all kinds of weird things I know nothing about, like collectible tennis shoes. I know people that mm-hmm, collect yeah. old, just crazy stuff. All right, so why does that relate to real estate? Because when you have that kind of motivation to, uh, out there, purchasing real estate, you have a lot of people that are not buying for really sound financial reasons. And that's what causes a collapse in any kind of asset class, including real estate. So you have a lot of people that maybe shouldn't have been buying houses, or maybe didn't really want to buy a house, but thought the house was going to be the Willy Wonka golden ticket. And maybe for a while it has been. And and so their motivation for buying something where maybe normally they wouldn't have spent so much, or maybe normally they just would have stayed renting. As soon as you remove the uh, idea that they're going to have, um, you know, it's going to be an upside beyond just a place to live. Then you're going to have people's behaviors; they're going to start changing, and then they're going to not necessarily have the same levels of motivation. And so, what happened during the Great Recession was, is that the housing became something that was all of a sudden seen as, you know, you don't want to buy a house. I mean, after the Great Recession, guys it was normal for people to actually there were articles that where people would write you know what you know people are never going to buy houses again yeah I, remember that. But, yeah I mean it was so hilarious people came Market out of the, no
1: longer believes in housing no
0: longer that's right people are just oh then the shared economy started kicking and people are just going to live in other people's houses and i mean all right. this insanity but what happened then was the fed said okay we're going to produce you know people's natural desire too to own a place, to have the secure of owning a house—that's the core, you know. That should be the core reason people buy real estate. Okay, then what happened? Okay, the Fed said, okay, in, let's start reinflating the housing bubble. That's exactly what happened, and then you saw investors get back in, mm-hmm. and then you saw prices go through the roof, and then you saw hedge funds starting to buy houses. Like the number one owner of homes right now in the United States. Uh, is I think I forget which hedge fund it is, but it's like BlackRock or something. blackrock Rock, yeah. yeah. And guess what they're doing with them? They're, they're, they bought more single family homes, and they're not even they for the longest time they weren't even buying them at a discount. They're paying retail for them. Yep. And what they do with them? They're not going to put them for sale, guys. They're holding these things and they're putting them for rent. So what has that created? More upward pressure on houses. Uh, off what motivation? Because they're wanting to buy them as investments. So when when I say that I'm looking forward to a return to normalcy, I mean it. Because the, the amount of speculation and you know, fear of missing out induced greed that's entered in the housing market has really made it so that many people who would have normally like I think I think back, you know, when you our parents bought houses, right? Mm-hmm. Back in the late seventies. Mm-hmm. And it was at the tail end of the whole Jimmy Carter thing, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, my what what you heard your parents buy the house on Evening Street seventy eight. So my parents bought their house, their first and only house. I think it was, I think actually was in seventy eight or seventy seven. Yeah. And the house had been abandoned.
1: Yeah, my parents' house had been an R E O. It had a brick thrown through the front window. Yep,
0: my parents' house I remember was horrible. It was like uh, robin's egg blue. (laughs) It was uh, the everything was. Absolutely horrible condition, the worst wallpaper you've ever seen. And, and uh, you know, this is important that they understand this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the basement had so many cockroaches in it that I I just couldn't even believe it. I'd never seen. And yeah. I was I was a little kid. Like I, I remember
1: was, playing whack a roach in the basement. I was too. six
0: or seven. Yeah, and I remember yeah, I remember scary. <laughs> we went to we went and bought like a billion cans of Raid and bug bombs. Yeah. And we my brother and my dad and I just went down there on one Saturday and we just. Gas the place. It was. Yeah,
1: so, for those of you <laughs> selling markets that don't have basements, basements, be, be glad. Be glad. They're scary, all kinds of, infested. Ugh, ugh, all ugh. kinds
0: of nasty things can Roast. evolve in a basement just over a series of months. But fast forward to today. That neighborhood where that house is is incredibly desirable. Yes. So, that house went to something that sat on the market that nobody wanted. Interest rates were double digit. You had to put down a big down payment. Uh, And the house you bought was basically, essentially, a, a World War II era house that was needing completely rehabbed. And, and my parents' house did. Driveway was garbage. It needed a roof. And it had, they paid, what,
1: 17% it had, interest? It had no,
0: it had no air like conditioning. Yeah. You know, the kitchen appliances were... so they, they were
1: glad to have it. They
0: were thrilled. And I remember mm-hmm. we were all so happy to have it. Yep. And now that house is worth over $300,000. Mm-hmm. And the neighborhood is this very desirable area. And Julie and I own a lot of rental properties in that same area because that's where we started out selling real estate. And some of those little houses, when we started selling real estate, were just absolute... <laughs> garbage. And now they're selling like, our first house, Julie and I's first house, and we got, you know, basically we're 22 and 23, um... I think we paid. What do we pay for that little crack box?
1: Seventy-five, five seventy-five.
0: Seventy-five, <laughs> five seventy-five. And the
1: payment was five fifty a month.
0: We should have kept that man. At
1: seven point something percent. Yeah, I which know. you know today people would have a heart attack over a seven percent interest rate. So what's
0: the house worth now? And mm-hmm. and I'm fifty, right? So you guys can do the math. That house is worth now over two hundred thousand, probably two hundred thirty thousand. Now does it make sense <laughs> that a little seven hundred, you know, fifty square foot house that was worth, you know, let's say not even more than shit that's depressing oh, was to think 71, about yeah it was yeah. 70 71 yeah. yeah but uh that was more than 25 years ago did you realize that i know oh, is that right that oh my god it was more than 25 years ago we are so damn old
1: seriously <laughs> seriously Let's do wrap the, this up so we can go to the beach yeah i know
0: <laughs> do the math on that anyway <laughs> does it make right. sense that that little house it doesn't offer any more utility than it nope. did before the location is not all of a sudden oceanfront. No. Nope. It it the 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 employment situation the overall economy in Columbus, Ohio is probably. I mean, overall, there's more people, there's more businesses, but it's probably on par with the way yeah, it but was. It's
1: demand basically. It's, it's a, demand it's a supply trigger, and Demand issue, but
0: created by the availability of the belief a um, of that real estate's the willing you, want, you know, good the golden yep. ticket right. The belief that that is going to be something that you have to buy mm-hmm. as a as an investment vehicle, and the fact that. There's lots of ready, you know, people to loan money on you can
1: finance it for real cheap.
0: Exactly. Now, if you remove those factors, if you remove the belief that, you know, houses are going to always go up in value, Mm -hmm. which is exactly what happened after the last housing crash, and you make mortgages harder to get, then you're going to completely change the cycle instantaneously. Now, we just gave you a history lesson. We bounced back and forth, you know, 20, 30 years. Even with the sake of our parents, we bounced back 40 years. But the reality of what we're telling you is these things repeat themselves. And if you've not been in real estate long enough to realize that we're going to go through another cycle like this and you're pissed off because you think that Julie and I are, you know, doom and gloom and we're, you know, somehow wishing for some sort of return of some sort of. We're not. We're just telling you it's going to happen. We're, you know, we have influence. We don't have that kind of influence. We're not all of a sudden going to convince the housing market it's time to hit the eject button. The moral of the story here is what we're entering into, the the things that are causing triggering this sort of market shift to happen may be different, but they're pretty much similar to what has happened in the past. And we're going to go through another reset. And that is not a bad thing. It's a good thing um, because it gives normal people an opportunity to be able to to buy homes. It's going to cause, it's going to cause a return to, you know, the poorer family in Worthington, Ohio that was able to save up a little bit of money. And, you know, I do, I I actually remember what my parents paid for their house. They paid fifty seven grand for it. Okay. And now it's worth over three hundred grand. Yep, for sure. And that wasn't that wasn't like the late seventies. They did, I remember fifty seven grand. So yeah. But
1: Tim, I think to your point too, you know, the the normalization of the market would be a really good thing for your average buyer. I mean, how many how many of you guys are working with VA and FHA and low down payment and special government assisted buyer loans? And they just get outbid all the time, and it, it's not even against cash; it's against a conventional bar- borrower that might have a better letter, might have a little bit more money down. I mean, there's so many. I wonder what percent of the market, because there's always the highest percent of buyers are always first-time buyers. There's just more of them, and I think that's even gone up uh, even more with the millennial population being so high.
0: And here's here. So, are we predicting the prices are going to fall? You know, down to fifty-seven grand? Of course not.
1: But, no, but will they adjust?
0: Right, and so it's like you have to ask yourself. And you guys are in real estate. You know what I'm going to say. If you're going to be a buyer and you're saying like okay, I can save up, you know, five percent or maybe no percent if I can get mm-hmm. you know, a certain kind of loan. But let's just say ten percent, and you want to buy a house. That's I'm sorry. Let's say five percent. You want to buy a house in Columbus, Ohio for a quarter million dollars. You don't have to save up that much money. You can you can do that within you know a year easily. Most normal people can. Again, it's not that much money. It's, you know, less than 13 grand. Let's say 14 grand with closing costs and whatnot. And when you buy that quarter million dollar house, the payment on the house all in is less than what you're going to pay in rent or even if it's the same, well, there is a really great argument for buying a house cuz you're going to spend the money anyway. But what happens if that equation flips? What if all of a sudden it becomes cheaper to rent a house than it is to buy a house? Right? What happens if the interest rates increase and then all of a sudden basically it you know and the down payment requirements increase, people are going to go back to renting. Now here's the thing that's really truly different now than maybe even back uh, you know certainly back when I was a kid, and Julie was a kid is there is a pattern that we've seen come out of the Fed and the government where they want to keep re- reinflating and reinflating and reinflating the bu- housing bubble. Why? Because a drop in housing values causes so much economic pain, and not just homeowners, right? Not, you know, selfishly, we could say, well, I don't want to lose, you know, value in my house, right? Nobody does. But all the other institutions, the collateralized debt, the banks, the mortgage markets, all everything, all the, you know, unintended consequences of home values going down just by 5% or 10%, so the reason why there probably won't be a precipitous drop in prices as long as Peter Schiff is wrong with this theory about the overall economy is because the Fed's gonna keep on inflating through low interest rates and easy borrowing you know policies, people's ability to get mortgages. And I think they're gonna they're gonna put up a, a floor under under house values. Now, Julie, when do you yeah. think there'll be a return of distressed real estate?
1: Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not sure that there's going to be. Not not too Uh, not immediately, okay, because of the forbearances. I think when we see it, it'll be when the forbearances run out and all of the people who had forbearances but were not reemployed or were not reemployed at the rate that they were. And we're talking, what was the latest numbers? It's over 20 million people, okay? And and they keep on reporting.
0: It's 40, right? 40 million people lost their jobs. That's
1: a lot of, I mean, that's a lot of potential um, downside in the housing market because the mortgage lenders have said, when you reach the end of your forbearance, which is going to be between 180 days and an entire year, depending on what your deal was with your lender. When you reach the end, if you are not reemployed, you will not be getting a loan mod. We're they, not going to let you do it. Right. It's just going to go straight to deed and lieu, pre-foreclosure or foreclosure. They're, they're not going to be wheeling and dealing on that. That's what they've said so far. And then Well, short sale
0: too. Did you and say short, that? and yeah.
1: potentially short sale. So I, I think that... Uh, The short sale aspect will depend on how much um, demand and supply balance out, because right now you could have a lot more supply come in. And even if you're behind on your payment because prices are still okay, you might escape being a short sale once it adjusts. And, you know, this also depends. There was a huge refinance push. Right. So all that would have to happen is you lose your forbearance. You refied up to the maximum amount. You lose your job or you're not as employed. That person still can be a short sale because they refied before they forbore. For were in forbearance, so there was a lot of that going on.
0: But really, overall, what you're going to see, you know. So J- my
1: answer is eventually, but not like tomorrow.
0: Right, but probably this time next year, yeah. or sooner yeah. this time next year, like for in sure. the spring.
1: There's no way it won't happen.
0: Yeah, there's definitely going to be a big uh, return, and and really, I think what we'll see is what Julie's saying. The I banks. I think
1: it'll be more drawn out, though. Yeah, it'll
0: be more drawn out. It's going to be more focused on short sales too. I hope so. Right. I this mean, sh-
1: in terms of people not getting foreclosed on. In the
0: short sale process, well, it, we've seen letters, right? We're putting them on the actual forbearance agreements. That's what Julia was citing there. And they did say specifically, you know, what Julie said, at the end of the forbearance, if you don't have a job, if you're not able to make your payment, then these are going to be your options. And really from a bank's perspective and really from an owner's perspective, a short sale when done properly has the least financial yes. uh, downside. And oftentimes the seller can get, and you guys have most of you have been selling real estate during the last crash, but guess what? Guess who is the number one, you know, short sale coaching organization in <laughs> yep. the country? We were. We are ready to rumble. We are ready to rumble, right? And we've already we're basically uh, dusting off everything, and we're ready to sort of, you know, flip
1: that switch. That's right. As necessary. But
0: we we were thinking it was going to um, come. We thought back in February and March, um, certainly mm-hmm. in April that the short sales and all the distress was going to return this year, but then the banks basically got aggressive with the forbearances. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, who knows? The banks might do something like that again. There might be...
1: Could be, especially in an election year. Maybe there will be something even more radical that they do, but it's not going to be for 10 years. It's it's going to be maybe another six-month extension. You know, they just extended the foreclosure moratorium and eviction moratorium. Right.
0: So there's going to be all kinds of heavy hand from the government that's going to, uh, you know, sort of alter the natural behaviors of a correcting market. But the moral of the story is, if you can't make your payment, well, so from an owner's perspective, if the house is depreciated. Uh, to the point where it's worth the same as what they owe, or it's worth less than what they owe, and they can rent something for the same payment or less. Psychologically, we know from the last go around, people will definitely hit the eject button. Yep. They'll lose that emotional attachment to it because they'll just feel like they're just being tenants to the bank and they can go, you know, rent the neighbor's house down the way and not have to worry about it, or not have to worry, you know, have a lesser payment and then not have to worry about the maintenance and the upkeep in the house. Um, and the other thing that's going to cause downward pressure on real estate, and this is something that we're really watching are the, uh, essentially the cities are going to have to raise taxes. There's so many, uh, property taxes. And there's so many um, of these cities that are going to have These financial problems for, you know, sales tax receipts are down. People aren't spending money. We just told you guys about that. And so you're going to see all these different, you know, unintended consequences that are going to start playing out into next year that probably will reinforce Peter's theory that we're going to be in some kind of really parallel universe as far as the economy. Things have to sort themselves out you know, the governments, the local governments are going to have to make cuts, which they're not going to want to do. Schools still don't know how they're going to operate. You know, mm, th- that's yeah. an ongoing conversation. So as long as these things, true. I- until those they're resolved, it's just a big question mark what's going to happen.
1: Well, I mean, you mentioned schools, right? So uh, you sent me an article last week about uh, Coursera, you know, the online education platform. Their enrollments were up 25 million people, which was 520% increase. That's incredible. But I think about, you know, we both went to Ohio State. Now, when we went there, and probably still, maybe even more, um, the statistic was that one in 11 people who live in Columbus were employed one way or another by Ohio State, yep. whether that was the the hospital, right? There's a teaching hospital there, or whether that was via sports or that was teaching. You know, a lot of our tenants are uh, professors or TAs. I see it all the time. I would say almost 100% well, of them are. But, so but break the down what is, you're saying. Well, so if let's say Ohio State's enrollment goes down and their costs go up. They've got a lot of buildings to maintain. They lost, an, you know, at least half a season of sports revenue. That's right. Okay. So how many people are being laid off or furloughed or will be impacted by that? And then if that spins up into now we're all going to go online because the virus continues and people are freaked out and now they know that they can do online stuff. Well, what are the unintended consequences of that?
0: Well, so from a the way my mind works and your mind works, it's fantastic because more people are going to be able to get an education for it, which sure as sure. hell better be less money.
1: I should hope because
0: so. college has become an absolute. Again, there, there's another bubble, guys. Why has college become more expensive?
1: Because you can finance it for one thing. That's
0: the reason why. It's yep. because people can finance it, and they made it so that. Uh, and look, I don't think overall the concept behind doing it is bad. I mean, statistically, s- smarter people make better decisions, right? But smarter people that are, um, you know, graduating with degrees that make them essentially unemployable with tens of thousands of dollars in debt, that's really not sustainable. And so, yeah, in like Columbus, Ohio, Julie, our tenants are essentially um, OSU employees.
1: Teaching assistants. And they
0: work for the city. um, They work for the state.
1: Some of them are in like communications for Ohio State. You know, there's just so many arms of of doing all that um, support structure for the school. But yeah, I, I I'm thinking through my rolodex of tenants, and I think, I think one of them works for AEP, and the rest of them are somehow related to OSU. Yeah. Part of that's the proximity of our rentals to OSU, right,
0: right, yeah. we Our properties yeah. are mostly in a zip code called 43214 if you guys want to go check out a great place to buy real estate. Not
1: that there's anything for sale there right yeah, now. Yeah, well, I don't <laughs> know if it's a great
0: place now. It seems yeah. pretty damn pricey to me.
1: It's <laughs> fine.
0: Yeah. But, yeah, so anyway, moral <laughs> oh, yeah. of the story here is all these conversations are not having to take place now because we're in this sort of, you know, financial furlough. Is that that's a nice... and another
1: example you sent me because last Because the week.
0: government's essentially propping everything up. Yeah
1: you sent me something about the demise of the big malls and all of the support that surrounds that. Right. So you've got those big traditional malls are on a ton of land. You know, think about just the size of the parking lots that go with those things. And you have something like a J crew filed for uh, bankruptcy, I guess. And then you've got, I know Nordstrom's is closing down a whole bunch of stores and then whatever was right next to them. We've talked about this before, but what happens to a big ginormous vacant mall? Some of them are being turned into sports parks but it's well, not going to be all of them
0: Modern uh, you know big development residential was always centered around yes. commercial that's right right and so every place every time you go to a you know a community a city there's just literally there's whole parts of Arizona and mm-hmm. you know Nevada and just different parts of the world were just all created these master plan not just communities but these master plan cities the center of the city was always a big, Mall or some sort of retail, meets, coffee, that shopping, kind of thing. Retail, right. You know, Nothing new there. Shop. Everybody knows that. Yeah, so right. you know, as as those businesses become less viable and they close down, um, then those neighboring communities are going to become less desirable places to live. And so, if you have cities that were dependent on the property tax revenues from the retail and from the you know increasing values of homes, and this everything was predicated based on assumptions that are no longer valid, what happens inside those individual communities in those cities? And so this this change that's taking place, be aware of it, because it's necessary for your own survival. And frankly, it's necessary for you to, to keep yourself relevant you know, decades from now as a business owner because you don't want to necessarily – there's an old saying, when the going gets tough, I know what all of you just said, the smart make, smart get going, but there's actually a nice – another way of saying it. When the going gets tough, the smart leave, um, and that's something that when I first heard that when I was like a teenager, I found it a little bit, you know – I didn't like it because it made me think like it was against my Boy Scout nature in a lot of ways because I thought, well, when the going gets tough, the smart get going and that's just the way it is. We're Americans and all that. But then the older I got, the more I realized was sometimes when the, the, essentially enough things change for you just to stay there and beat your head against the wall, trying to fight against the momentum that's going against a particular thing that you're trying to accomplish, it's just stupid. So when the going gets tough, the smart leave. So just be aware. And some of you, and the leaving isn't just your geographic location. The leaving also is in the way you're thinking. The the leaving can be in the and just things that you thought were the way they were always going to be. Look how many things have changed in such a short period of time. And guys, we're in a um a cycle right now where more things are going to change uh, that you thought were. Never going to change because that's the nature of a cycle like this. So you don't just experience what we've experienced in the last six months. You're going to see all the other dominoes start to fall like the ones that Julie and I are telling you about. Um, So don't be scared. Just be aware and be proactive.
1: Well, and monitor your own situation. You know, it is true that real estate is local. They used to say real estate's like the weather. You know, what's happening in your backyard isn't what's necessarily happening across town. So, I mean, even in the hottest feeling market, you're going to have little things that bubble up, little things that you notice. Like maybe, I, I'll tell you from coaching calls, Tim, I would say in most markets, not where the most starved inventory is, but most markets, anything over 550 to 750 is having a harder time selling. Yep. I'm getting more questions about price reduction scripts, condo markets already being affected by this. We already know about Manhattan money and Miami, you know, big high rise markets. But you're going to have situations, and we even had this in Columbus, where you know, certain streets, you could put it on the market, it was staged all right, it was priced well, and it'd be sold pretty quick. Other streets, it's like, I don't know, this is gonna have to compete with the rest of it. We better price it a little bit more aggressively. And then sometimes you'll be surprised, especially on the edge of a changing market. I am hearing from agents things that they thought were going to sell right away, based on their last sales, based on the comps. Well, why hasn't it sold? It's been three weeks. Maybe that's the edge of something. You've got to watch that for yourself, for your sellers, for your clients.
0: Because what it goes back to is psychology. So if all of a yeah. sudden you had this really hot neighborhood, then all of a sudden, like the days on the market was less than 30. Maybe it was less than three, right? <laughs> you know, there was no days on the market. As some of you guys have only sold the market like that. And yeah. then it creeps up to a week. Nobody really pays attention. They're like, yeah, it's whatever, okay. Two it's weekends, week. but yeah, we'll live. It's okay. And all of a sudden it's three weeks and it's a month. And then what happens is people start saying like they'll start blaming the house like oh it must have you know it must smell like cat pee or it must yeah. have some kind of problem or you know you know you still see the sign you still see it in the computer for sale and then two months passes and and then people stop talking about it. now and the that,
1: agent gets fired
0: right one house on in the, on a street that used to be hot it yep. can be an anomaly but what happens in your condo building or your yep. street or your community where now it's not one house but it's five houses that are selling like going through that pattern then it's ten then what you have is all the buyers are fearful and they don't want to catch a falling knife and then you're caught in that transitional phase now i hope you guys can psychologically understand what we're saying again i recognize the fact that most of you have never experienced a changing market before in that, in that phase of change, which can last a year, it can last two years, mm-hmm. if, if it's a really high-end expensive market, it can last decades because yeah. people have the money and don't have to sell, so they'll just you know hold out. It's they might it. keep the house mm-hmm. vacant or rent it. So in that transitioning phase, that's when the biggest opportunities are presented to agents that know how to essentially deal with the anxiety that comes from yeah. change.
1: It's also when the weak agents drop out.
0: Oh yeah, and that's what's happening. That's what's going to happen. The weak agents have been essentially given a lifeline where they don't necessarily – they can listen to us. They can say, you know what? I understand what Tim and Julie are saying, but I'm just going to keep on Facebooking and I'm going to keep <laughs> on branding. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to try to learn anything new. I'm just going to hold out. And then what happens <laughs> is you guys are the ones that fail the first. As soon as these lifelines, which have frankly never happened before, there's never been anything like this that's happened for the sake of just normal people. Are you kidding me? 1099ers can go on unemployment? You know, the PPP loans to the SBA. I mean, really? Those are available to everybody? Self-employed people, too? And there really isn't a lot of documentation? Okay. Well, so that gave you guys, you know, months of lifeline, not years, months. And maybe you've, you know, watched all the Hulu you could possibly watch, (laughs) and you've gained your COVID-19, 19 pounds. And now you're coming back out of your quarantine, and you're now waking up to realize um, you know, things feel sort of similar. Maybe if they're going to go back to normal, I'm listening to this podcast. These two loons down in Puerto Rico, Tim and <laughs> Julie Harris. You know, and and I'm they're telling me this thing's going to come. I'm going to hold out. I'm not going to really do anything about it. I'm going to see if they're right or see if they're wrong because they're the only ones that are saying what they're saying. Everyone else is basically blowing sunshine up my skirt, and I kind of like the breeze. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying?
1: That's exactly it. Yep.
0: yep, and that's what where a lot of you are. I'm trying to make you laugh at yourself <laughs> because you're making a huge mistake. You're waiting too long because okay. you can't
1: run your business on hopium, you know. You can't.
0: And you're going to run out the clock and then when you decide you're going to try to relearn, then when you decide you're going to learn how to compete. Then when you just realize that centers of influence and past client focused, you know, lead generation is actually a thing that only works in a hot sellers market. Then when you realize all the branding stuff that you've been sold over these over this past sellers market was mostly a bunch of, you know, hopium garbage make you feel good stuff. When you realize that it's become a skills-based market, then it's too late. You know, it's, it, That's really what happens, and that's what's happened in every changing market cycle before. Psychologically, you ignored your inner voice telling you that you needed to evolve and you needed to change, and you fought against that wanting uh, being uncomfortable because whenever you have to learn something new, it makes you uncomfortable. You pushed back against that, and then you you will pay the price and I'm begging all of you to don't don't go down the drain like that, fight against that natural precolation to be precolection predilection What's, predilection I whatever it is so, so. to be complacent, yeah, so that's what you know from all my calls, all my coaching calls, all the zooms we did this past mm-hmm. week How's that's that the up? message we've been telling everyone. Um, and all that we, between our podcasts and our events, we this past week alone, we probably were in front of seventy five thousand people, mm-hmm. you know, digitally, and that's what we're telling everyone. Now, here's the thing: I know that hardly any of you are listening, because it's against human nature to want to, you know, to voluntarily change. Most people only change when the the perceived pain of not changing is greater than the perceived pain they'll feel from making the change and and some of you guys are not feeling the real fallout from what we've actually what's already the cards that are on the table the dominoes that have already started falling you haven't really felt it yet and you will wait too long you'll wait until next year and then you're gonna experience you're gonna wash out of the market and you're gonna wash out of the real estate market at a horrible time because we're also going to be in a recession. And then what are you going to do? There probably won't be any meaningful government lifelines. You're going to lose everything that you fought for. Wherever you are in your position right now in life, you're going to easily fall back down to maybe where you started 10, 20 years ago. And I mean money-wise.
1: And we know that this is true because, unfortunately, we've seen some examples from the recession where people just thought, you know what? Short sales are never gonna hit my market. I'm not gonna see any foreclosures. We've been hot so long, this can't last. And they waited too long and they lost their own rental properties. Then they tried to refinance their own house and the bank said, no, you're in real estate. We're not gonna finance you. Then they lost their own house. Then they started renting. And then if they were still in real estate, they decided to get their act together. Those are the people who are the hardest to coach, to be honest, right? Because they're shell-shocked. You guys cannot let yourselves get to that point. And again, we hope we're wrong about this plan for the worst hope for the best get prepared and right now your job is to make hay while the sun shines to help as many people as you possibly can and to make sure that you're increasing your quarterly goal by at least 20 percent if not well more than
0: that so um here's the if you're not like we're telling you a lot of things you're intellectually understanding what we're saying is true you're not knowing what to do let's say it's the first tim and julie podcast you've listened to Just text the word SURVIVAL to 31996, and we'll text you back a link to join the free coaching program. We started this free coaching program at the beginning of this whole pandemic, and it's for every agent in the nation. And the free coaching program gives you the exact direction that many of you are looking for, including a 90-day massive action plan. And the 90-day massive action plan tells you exactly what you're supposed to be doing every single day for the next 90 days. Just text the word SURVIVAL to 31996, and we'll text you back that link to the 90-Day Massive actions to the free coaching program. You have to join the coaching program and, and within the coaching program, 90-Day Massive Action Plan, the survival guide, all the things that we've been talking about for the past 90 days. Guys, please stop procrastinating and get on this. So, anything else in real estate? Or do you want to pivot and talk about something else random?
1: <laughs> we can talk about something else random. I think we've made our point that they better make hay while the sun shines. Yeah. Changes are coming. It's only a matter of when. So, speaking of changes that are coming, I was encouraged to find out that we have a giant dust cloud coming from the Sahara, yes.
0: Encouraged? We, you said I encouraged? I was encouraged,
1: why? Because it suppresses hurricanes, <laughs> okay, so, in the year of who knows what's around the corner. Uh, yes, I guess there's a 5,000 uh, foot, 5,000, I guess it's 5,000 mile long dust cloud because we live due west of, uh, of Africa that, you know, our weather goes from east to west, so it's headed our direction anytime starting today, although we have nice blue skies today. And um, you, you know, know that's,
0: that's interesting. I, just, I, you know, I hadn't, hadn't thought about that.
1: Yeah, our weather does
0: west. go east to west, and when we lived yeah. in the mainland, it went west to east. That's
1: right. Not all the time, but probably 90% of the time it comes, it moves east to west, which huh. is weird for us. That but that's weird. why we figured you know where Africa is, it's headed our direction. And in fact, those of you who live in the southeast, you know, around the Florida coast and the Gulf coast, you guys might get a taste of that as well. It's supposed to be basically uh, beautiful sunsets and sunrises, and if you happen to get moisture, you know, your storms, you might actually have uh, mud raining on you. So take care (laughs) of your cars and, you know, watch what you're doing when you lean on things. But uh, that'll be our weird event of the week.
0: Well, so the Saharan, and Julie just said the term, and it kind of... you know says what it is but it is literally this big you can you can find pictures of this thing taken from satellites it's incredible looking it is incredible it, and it's just this big massive it's bigger than the biggest hurricane you've ever seen of just this nasty ass dust that's blowing off the saharan desert uh, you, it, it seems so funny for me to even say these words because Julie and I are from freaking Columbus, Once Ohio. Once again, I thought
1: it was a joke the first time I heard. Uh, it. Of course, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I looked it up. I'm like, that's a real thing, Really? We're,
0: fr- we're from Columbus, Ohio, yeah, and the yeah, fact yeah. that the fact that we live down in the Caribbean, in Puerto Rico, and it, it, you you think you know where Puerto Rico is? Go look in a map to and see where to Puerto Rico here. is. <laughs> yeah, it takes us three and a half hours, something like that, to fly to Miami. Okay, I mean, we are further down than you can possibly it's imagine. Not just south. Yeah, we, we <laughs> basically can you know, we can see the equator from our back door yeah. I mean essentially right. I mean it's pretty amazing um, yeah and that just goes to show all the wonderful adventures you can have in your life if you fight against being complacent so that's right. we're I'm in a massive gratitude despite the Saharan dust yes. cloud that's well, coming you know, in our
1: way like I said I'm encouraged because hurricanes don't like that kind of thing and we are in hurricane season so maybe we'll get a nice m- month or so run of a reprieve you know, a reprieve. Especially because one of the hurricanes, you know, they pre-name them by the alphabet. One of them is going to be named after your mom's nickname, Nana, which she really <laughs> liked the idea of being Hurricane Nana. So, uh, yeah, another weird news, right? So. Well,
0: did we tell the story about the, um, or did we just hint at it last week? I don't remember. The satellite did, story. Did we talk about that? A no, little, we did. We a did didn't drill bit, down on that. Not the, the full thing. We, yeah. So, if you guys are everyday <laughs> listeners, we touched a little bit about this in the past week. Remember, we like yeah. I like to share. Julie and I will, you know, try to send each other it just tails from the far side as far as ridiculousness. Mm-hmm. And then we try to sprinkle those into our Sunday podcast just to keep you guys entertained. Um, and also, frankly, we always like to be constantly learning about things that we know nothing about. Um, yeah. It, it, it's you frosty. It's fun to discover when you're wrong or when you thought you were really smart about something, it turns out you were really stupid about something. Mm-hmm. If you allow yourself to be exposed like that, it is a absolute emotional release because if you are able to like not let your ego, um, you know, stop learning. If you're opening your mind to constantly learn about things, and find th- and challenge your own, you know, preconceived notions. Whatever your firmest beliefs are, they're probably right. But challenge them occasionally and listen to the other side. Listen, read things that are normally things you completely skip over or you don't even see or hear. And allow your brain to develop your own opinions, not opinions yeah. that other people wanted you to have. And again, especially in a time like this, where you're being pressured to think in certain ways. And if you don't think in certain ways, you're somehow against or you're somehow, you know, evil or bad. And no, I'm not going to talk politics. Nope. Cause, and I know some of you are pissed that we're not going to do it, but we're not going to do no, it. But
1: It makes you a more interesting human to know about more things. Right. You know, I think about my dad, right? He, he will discover something. And he'll follow that train of thought and then discover like little breadcrumbs along the road and just really drill down on something for like a week and then he'll go study something else. Yeah. You know, it it makes you more interesting. And I remember, you know, in in listing appointments when we would notice somebody's art and we were only barely educated on anything uh, art appreciation wise. But that that was a way of building rapport and showing that, hey, you know what, you're not just, you know, this salesperson. I think that it's almost like a daily challenge that you and I have with each other to find more interesting things, not always in the real estate wheelhouse. We start there and then we try and expand outward because there's so much more going on in the world than just, you know, all the political crap you guys are being thrown. And yes,
0: and yes, we're going to start talking about aliens in a second. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) As promised. As promised. Uh, But so whatever labels you've given yourself. Some of the labels you can you want to hold on to. Maybe your your label is you're a Christian, or maybe your label is you're a Muslim, or maybe your label is you're a you know Jewish or whatever it is. And those are your your that's it. That's what you are. That's who you are. That's your belief structure, and that's fantastic. I'm not suggesting that you should you know abandon the things that you know you use as your north star. What I am suggesting is be careful of any other labels that you put on yourself or you allow people to put on you. Because those labels are the very things that keep you from learning and from keeping you from changing and evolving. Because we are in a time where people are running to labels. They're running to their little encampments. They're running to basically tribe up. Uh, because that's what the natural human reaction is to fear. So when people are fearing, f- feeling fearful, they run to their tribes because that is what humans have done to survive. And that's what's going on now. So look, you can find uh, comfort in, you know, being attached to a particular belief structure. But understand that sometimes the belief structure, and I'm not talking religion, sometimes that belief structure is the very thing that's going to keep you from evolving and changing and being relevant in the future. And you've got to be really mindful of that. So whatever labels that you know someone's trying to put on you, good or bad, just avoid all labels. Avoid being tribed up. And keep your mind open, and it makes it so that you have a lot less stress too. Because when you assume, you know, a tribe is, you know, being you, when you join a tribe, you also assume that tribe's enemies. And do you really want to do that? You probably and don't. And
1: all of their beliefs that come along with it,
0: right? Even the bad ones, which you don't like necessarily. All right, so there, Julie and I have been talking a lot about what's probably going to be some of the greatest precursors of. A real massive revolution that will happen in humanity We we think about it we talk about it with you guys on Sunday especially and one of the obvious things that's holding a, a massive leap in a you know next huge wave of human evolution what's holding us back right now is a limitation to the highest utilization of essentially communication okay. in other words connectivity is the problem and so what Julie and I were talking about is essentially 5g and I know again it's politicized and all that so let's not we're not talking about that but the fact that 5G is going to be the next step in making it so that everyone can be intercom- interconnected globally at a with essentially virtually no breakdown in your you know your connection speed, upload download. So we talked about that last Sunday and then it was like the day after that, that we were on the beach and someone was explaining to us uh, that they had seen a series of lights on the horizon at dusk that were essentially evenly uh, spaced
1: appearing almost in formation in formation,
0: right And they're way on the way on the distant, and they're like evenly spaced. And they started almost. You know, remember when you're looking out at the ocean, which is where they were looking, you're seeing just basically ocean. And obviously, it looks like there's no. You know, the horizon is. You guys know what I'm talking about. So these lights were evenly spaced, and there were like six or eight of them, mm-hmm. right? And they're all coming out of. They're kind of arching, and then they disappeared into the sky. And so here we are in Puerto Rico, and you know we've experienced all the things you guys have experienced in the economy and the pandemic plus 200 earthquakes (laughs) and I heard somebody say that there's a tsunami in uh, Puerto Rico every every freaking 100 years and now it's 100 years since the last tsunami and it's like whatever, just (laughs) whatever. Let's just deal with whatever freaky ass things next. And so people have just gotten conditioned to talk about just things that before would make you a a nut job. So (laughs) people are now having frank conversations about you know, maybe we saw UFOs. Well then they found out it was a week or two later that Elon Musk had done a secret launch of satellites, and didn't announce it. Essentially, didn't tell anybody about it. He announced he, you know, from Florida. So what they were looking at was these satellites had all been launched in tandem from what? What is this big ass rocket called? What's that thing called?
1: It wasn't the Dragon? It was the other one. I yeah. Can't remember.
0: Yeah, I saw a picture of it. By yeah, the way, it was, it was freaking awesome. Yeah. yeah, I mean these rockets go and they, you know, they take the things up and then they they land. Oh my god! I mean, it seriously, that's amazing. I see that. Yeah, we me too. We definitely
1: need to go to some of those launches.
0: Okay, then it was about a week or two. So, okay, Elon Musk launched satellites, and people are like, "Oh, okay, whatever." Okay, well, it turns out that Elon Musk, and nobody knows about this, has partnered with. Um, do you remember the name of the company? I'll
1: tell you in just a second. Okay,
0: this company that's building—he's
1: calling it Starlink.
0: Yeah, Starlink. I think that's what uh, it's called.
1: And I'll tell you in a second what the other company But it's are.
0: totally on the DL. Nobody knew about it. He hasn't even publicly talked about it. Um, if it wasn't for people seeing these, you know, <laughs> what they thought... Starlink,
1: were... this little Elon Musk pet project. Yeah, read about it. Uh, can they... Let's see. It can rise up to start... Let's see. Another future industry. Helping hand. They are... Okay. A system to provide broadband internet access directly to us on Earth. So when you're thinking about a market... He thinks about Earth as the market he's going to serve. (laughs) That keeps it kind of in perspective. Um, One of the partners of the high-end satellite and video communications company based in Florida is called Vislink, V-I-S-L-I-N-K. The company provides technology that Starlink uh, needs. Nothing is confirmed at the moment, but this is not the only reason SpaceX or Starlink is related to Vislink.
0: so the moral of the story is yes. they're creating, imagine a, a hairnet. They're creating a net of satellites that's going to... Oh know,
1: my gosh. Inc- they, sorry to interrupt you. They have permission, SpaceX has permission, to fly 12,000 satellites into the low orbit. And Musk's hope, Musk hopes for more than 30,000 in the uh, future.
0: So going back to our that's point, amazing. if you guys want to talk about see more of that. something that's going to change everything, there it is right there. Because now, like, you, if you think there's a big surge and it's going to be a lasting surge away from cities and people moving to the country, which I personally think that's a macro trend, I think that's going to continue. But even if you're – I mean we live in Puerto Rico and we have decent internet connection, but we still have problems now. Unfortunately, they're putting up 5G all around where we live and that's probably going to uh, fix our latency issue. But with what Elon's talking about, he's talking about delivering an ability for everyone on the face of the earth. To essentially be interconnected. Now, okay, you're thinking to yourself. Well, there's just a lot more weirdos on Facebook now, right? Mm. Or a lot more people making TikTok videos. Well, yeah, sure, but it also means that someone in some you know part of the world that has never would have had an opportunity to take a class at Harvard can take a class at Harvard. And and for example, the uh, that online university or that online it's Coursera. Coursera. Mm-hmm. Coursera basically is a place where you can go and. M- Universities like Harvard and all these others, they put their classes, most of which are free, on Coursera. Now, I'm sure they do it with the idea that you're going to be able to take your online you know, class from taught by a Harvard professor, and maybe they're going to farm you into another class where you're going to have to pay for. Who cares?
1: Sure, but the point is the exposure right. for cheap or free. Exactly. There's another one I have on my phone called uh, Great Courses, where you can just say, you know what, I, I'm not sure I really know about all of that. Well, I, I'm going to figure that out. So like you know you and i are much are studying economics much more frequently than we used to you can get all kinds of great information from those great courses or coursera or you know i think it's awesome but the the point that you i think you're making is with the onset of immediate communication worldwide that's going to have major impact it is and one of the things that uh musk said he was talking he was being interviewed and and they were they were saying well don't you have competition from verizon and at&t and all of these they call them legacy communication companies and his vision is that when he gets his thing up and running you're not even going to know what those names anymore
0: that's in an exactly what will happen and so you think well communication so what you're gonna be able to send a text quicker it's not just that guys it's access to information it's the ability to you know it's what julie and i call gts google that shit right so now basically everyone is going to have access to Virtually any bit of information they went anywhere on the planet Earth, and much more quickly, and much more quickly. And it's going to be something that's going to be cha- It'll change the way that we interact. It's going to change the way we interact with, obviously, individuals with each other. But it's also going to change the man how we interact. So right now, it's kind of hilarious to me. That texting, of all things, mm-hmm. is, is a sort of like the thing. Everybody texts. Yeah. I text. Everybody texts, right? Zoe texts that, my, Our six-and-a-half-year-old daughter texts, right? That's the form of communication we've all gravitated towards. But how binary is texting? I
1: know. And the only reason we're doing that is because it's faster than email.
0: So here's what's going to replace texting. I'll tell you right now. It's so obvious. Voice. Audio. People are now. No, I'm not talking about you messaging, you saying what you want to have text, and then it translates it into a text and sends it. I'm talking about you're going to start sending audio clips opposed to just text clips, and that's how people are going to. I know there's little apps that do that now, but that's going to be the next evolution, and that's going to happen when essentially you can send stuff and receive stuff with no latency, and then you're going to have obviously it's going to evolve into um, a higher speed, easier access to uh, to video. I remember when I was a little boy in elementary school, I had a pen pal that was in uh, Agar, South Dakota, if I remember correctly, Mm -hmm. right? And I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, you know, South Dakota is so far away. But it's not. And do you, I'm again, when I was a little boy and living in Ohio, I remember thinking that Europe is some sort of far off exotic place. And, yeah. and for, for me growing up in Columbus as a poor kid, it sure as hell was. But now it's just basically, you know, of course, now there's not a lot of flights <laughs> going on right mm-hmm. now, but you can go anywhere you want to in the world. So here's where it's going to evolve to, in our opinion. There's going to be an enormous um, revolution in um, all of what we talked about but also in how you actually interact with the technology itself. You guys know what, like an Oculus, uh, Oculus, Oculus. Yeah. This headset that you put on it, you know, basically it's a interactive, whatever. What if, and we talked about this last Sunday, and I really do think it's going to happen. And I, I think I'm actually thinking too small as I described this. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to be, it, it's not going to be gear necessarily in the sort of this, um, you know, stage one phase one sort of, you're putting on this thing that looks like a big ski mask, you know. I think really what you're going to deal with is you're going to deal with glasses, normal glasses that, that don't look horrible and that people are going to be able to wear in public, hopefully not while walking around, and yeah, you're going to yeah. be able to have these interactive, immersive experiences with people all over the world. Or you could be, you know, I, of course, am still in love with, you know, international travel, so I have this vision of, you know, Julie and I sitting, having, you know, sipping little cappuccinos with Zoe of course Zoe's running like a crazy girl chasing pigeons I mean that's what Zoe would do (laughs) that's the reality but you know at the (laughs) right by the Eiffel Tower while Julie and I are basically doing Zooms with our uh, you know with our glasses on we're educating training coaching Um, and so that's the type of evolution that's going to you know revolution evolution and technology that's going to free all of us from any sort of attachment to a geographic location. Yeah. And that's going to free all of us to start thinking globally. And I think that's the reason, well, one of the reasons why Elon Musk is realizing people are, even though they don't want to now, people are going to want to go to Mars. Because if all of a sudden you have this inner desire to be able to expand and you can... It took me 50 years to travel to all the places Julie and I have traveled to. What if I could do it, of course, not physically, but what if I could do it through these high-level interactive environments and I could do it in an afternoon?
1: I know. And think about – I mean we think about, of course, ourselves and how we would be impacted and how people we know would be impacted. But imagine if you lived like in some kind of (laughs) – the Sahara, for example – some kind of remote place where, until now or the near future, you didn't have access to stuff like that, and you didn't even really know what Europe looked like, or you didn't, you hadn't been exposed to the Eiffel Tower, and now because of universal communication, you can you can see that. I wonder whether ultimately something like that would bring all of the cultures together versus infighting all the time.
0: So think about you. You just sparked a thought in my brain as you always do. So think about this for a second. How many of modern wars and how much uh, modern essentially conflict amongst humans is basically rooted in scarcity
1: scarcity ignorance of the other side right but scarcity right 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 now
0: there's a a sort sort of a cold war that's evolved between china and the united states over natural resources and it's natural resources in the sense of you know oil natural resources Mm -hmm. in the sense of just the things that it takes to basically run a modern civilization what if all those things that we've been fighting for For all, for our entire, like obviously, we're all you know designed in our brains to operate out of scarcity. Yep. So there's all this innate desire to think I need to. You know, it's the whole toilet paper hoarding thing, right? That's (laughs) scarcity (laughs) issue. But what if all of a sudden, all the things that have caused all this conflict for generations, what if it no longer is relevant? Yeah. What if all of a sudden, like for example, scarcity of resources, scarcity of knowledge, scarcity of money, scarcity of higher level education scarcity of just all these things because of the evolution and i don't have all this clear in my mind guys but this is the type of this is the type of future we all have to look forward to all the things we have normalized as being scarce what if they're abundant what if for example i'll, I'll break it down and make it practical i'm a car nerd i love gas and oil you know, I bought a... You know, Julie bought for me a 67 Mini Cooper S. Mm-hmm. It's a real one, 1200, you know, 1275cc. It's just re- restored to the... It's just perfect, right? But I'm not going to drive it that often. One of the things I love about it most is just looking at it, smelling it, tinkering mm-hmm. it. I like yeah. how it's made our garage smell like gas and oil because I grew up restoring Triumph TR3s with my dad. And so, okay, I get it all. So, look, I'm a dyed-in-the-wool car nerd. Absolutely am. Um, but I think cars... In the in their modern incarnations are absolutely obsolete. You're going to see electric cars, um, and then maybe hydrogen cars, and you're going it to just it's all going to change. And it's going to change so rapidly. You're going to see governments all over the, you know, mostly in Europe, are essentially making are taxing normal gas and oil cars out of existence. They're not they're making it so that essentially hybrid cars and electric cars don't have to pay the same taxes that normal cars do. And they're raising the normal tax, the taxes on normal cars. And most people do not give a rat's ass about cars and they're just going to buy whatever's cheapest. And they're going to end up, you know, in Germany, like I we talked about last Sunday, Mm -hmm. they passed a rule that within a certain amount of years, every sort of gas station now has to have an electric charging station. And there's, you know, so now the petroleum, um, whoever owns that gas station now is going to be responsible i'm sure there's gonna be subsidies and who knows how it's all gonna get paid for but we are going to see a massive way that we travel and that we already are and the idea of even having a steering wheel by the time our daughter starts driving the idea of having yeah. um, a steering wheel on a car as or someone knowing how to drive a car knowing how to you know Worry about breaking, and you know, all, it's going to be obsolete because people are just going to ride around in pods. Mm-hmm. It sounds like something something out of the Jetsons, but that's what's going to happen. Elon Musk satellites are going to make it so all these cars can you know communicate amongst each other and you know how fast that like you'll be driving on the road and the cars that your car will know what's coming up, you know, way more than GPS within the millimeter and it's going to be able to make adjustments. It's going to be able to know that maybe there's a a slowdown and you're just gonna you're not even going to pay attention. You're going to be on your headset and you're going to be walking around you know wherever you're walking around having this immersive interactive experience that's what we all have to look forward to and if you think from a business perspective where are the opportunities the opportunities are going to be for you to be relevant and adaptive and not refusing the changes because if you do then you'll be you'll made, be made irrelevant. And that's what happens to a lot of people every time there's times of change. And we have this sort of, I'm 50, right? I get it. I get the idea of not having to evolve and change and you just want to kick your feet back and, and like let the younger generation carry the weight. I'm starting to feel that way, but I'm going to fight against it. I'm never going to allow myself to act that way. I might feel it, but I'm not going to allow myself to act that way.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And that's why we study all these different things so that you don't wake up one day and your car's smarter than you are and you don't know which button to push. And you just decide to give up, you know, that can happen. Um, you sent me something interesting last week, I think it was you, that um, you know, like all the we're used to our eye watches and things like that monitoring us. There is a story about a guy that had I didn't know they had rings that did that. Yeah. It had to do with monitoring sleep and, you know, your breathing and your heart rate and it, it had like a readiness meter to be functional for the day. And he was used to having a certain reading on it and he looked at it and it said basically you're not optimum. You're not even close to optimum. And even though he basically felt okay, he went to the doctor and guess what? Of course he had the virus, but his ring was the thing that told him that. So how many other things are going to be monitoring, not just our health, but our safety, to your point about automotive um, technology, and you know, virtually every aspect. So I think it's exciting times. And I think probably, you know, some people are calling it the great pause, you know, when we're all locked well, that's, down that's, that's and forced ne- That's, to that's zoom.
0: 2020.
1: Right. But But I think that that might have shaved off some mental time to acceptance of some of these, to us now, radical new technologies.
0: Well, that goes back to talking about these retail centers. Maybe that's the catalyst. Right. Well, it goes back to talking about these retail centers and these department stores and these sort of, you know, these legacy ways of doing business. you're not
1: even allowed to try on clothes anymore. Right. They've all
0: sort of basically, they're all getting, it's so much is forced change and it's never going to go back. Um, you know, in real estate brokers, real estate agents, you know that's the reason so many people are rushing to EXP Realty, for example. It's, I, you know, we talk about EXP Realty because you and I are EXP Realty agents, and we're always looking for agents that we can sponsor for the sake of being EXP. I mean, why be? You know, there it is. Yeah. And if you guys want to talk to us about EXP, just text me directly at five one two seven five eight zero two zero six. But if you're thinking about like, oh my gosh, Tim, all this change is making me fearful, Julie's going back and making it practical and tactical. Just focus on the next six months and the next six months after that. We're going to have your backs and we're going to look long term. We're going to be watching to see what makes sense and what doesn't as far as where you should be pivoting. But here's the thing it's really fascinating, and I had several high-level conversations in the last couple weeks about this. I can't see realistically why there would ever be a... a where agents would never become would, would become obsolete. I know that's what technologists want you to believe, but yeah. I don't think it'll ever be true. Because ultimately people are gonna wanna buy a house and they're gonna wanna raise a family. They're gonna have a place that's theirs. And uh, on a macro level, there's going to be an increasing need for quality housing. Because there's more people being born, right? People are making more people, and that's going to continue the trend, and you're going to have more people. And then people are going to need places to raise their families and feel safe and secure and have their hubs, even though they might be doing a lot. So, all these immersive experiences, they're going to be taking place in people's houses. They're going to be taking place in people's, you know, that's how people are ultimately going to live. You're never going to all of a sudden have people break away from wanting to be parts of communities and, you know, again, parts of their tribes and whatnot. And when you look at real estate, real estate is one of the only things on planet Earth which cannot truly be commoditized because it's different. Even if you're looking in a building, like, you know, we're looking at where we might be purchasing real estate if we choose to next year. We might not, frankly. And we're looking in different markets. You know, we've always been fascinated by Miami we go on to you know realtor.com and we look in these different buildings and they're all sort of every unit looks the same mm-hmm. is overpriced by what looks to be about the same but we know from having coach agents then every one of these buildings, even when you have this long-ass days on the market, there's okay. going to be two floors, maybe, or there's going to be a side of the building that always sells no matter what the that's rest right. of the building is do, doing. It's the ocean but side. We, to,
1: I think to your point, we, we need that local specialist to right. tell us that because we're certainly not sorting that out online with 2,000 units to look at. Nope. Who's got time to do that? And when you look at the transaction itself and how complex that's gotten – I mean, buyers and sellers can barely get along with each other through inspections with an agent. Do you think they can deal with each other without an agent? That would never happen in a million years, even on an easy deal.
0: Yeah, so you see people that are buying real estate right now, buying homes without seeing them, but that's not really true because they're putting them in contract without seeing them, but then there's usually clauses, you know, weasel out clauses like a home inspection, things like that. So agents that will become obsolete are the ones... That basically don't have the skill set that is required now will be required next year, and they'll be required into the future. And the skill sets is, it's going to be moving towards being somewhat well. It's going to be moving towards like of a true professional. You're going to have to have a a complex set of tools in your toolbox to solve complex sets of problems that will be presenting themselves um, going forward. And many of you have ridden this seller's you know a seller's wave and. You've experienced a market that just seemed like essentially it was almost easy. Yes, it required a lot of your time, and it was frustrating, and there was bidding wars, but none of that stuff really requires that much skill. You're going to be entering into a skills-based market that is going to make pretty much every single thing that you think you know um, obsolete, and maybe not everything will be obsolete, but it's going to have to change. It's going to have to evolve. Um, and most of what you guys have spent your time doing in this past seller's market is, is on fluffery that's not relevant now and won't be relevant next year. You're going to walk into seller's houses and they're going to have complex sets of problems. They're going to be rooted in some emotions that you're not ever going to have to, you'll never have dealt with. You're going to not know what to say or how to say it. And then you might get kicked in the head a few times. What many of you will do, I don't mean literally, hopefully, hopefully. hopefully. and what many of you will do is you'll just give up hope and you'll stop trying. Whereas if you had you know know what to say and how to say it, you knew how to pre-qualify before you got there. You knew what their problems before were before you got there. You knew how to solve their problems before you got there. You already had a reputation. A reputation is not the same thing as brand. What you guys have been trying to do is buy a stellar reputation by spending money on branding. If you want a stellar brand, stellar brand, you have basically have to earn it and by once you earn it and once you satisfy enough enough people and solve enough people's problems then you have a reputation and then you have a brand of somebody basically of, you know you have a brand of excellence those of you who have been lied to thinking that you can buy your reputation through spending a lot of money on creating a brand you are if you haven't realized it yet you were fooled you were lied to somebody stole your money because you cannot skip the step of actually learning to be a professional and earning the business through helping you know in our case in your case thousands of people when you do that at a high enough level you got no worries because people will always seek you out
1: yeah i mean that's basically it and it's the decision that you have to make you are the only one that can control that so you know like we often say every day you're either self-employed or self-unemployed it's up to you you make that decision are you hitting the uh the snooze button every day routinely or are you saying you know what what are the three top things i'm going to get done today who can i help next very distinct thoughts.
0: So there's roughly six months left this year. How many of you are still in coasting mode? How many of you are still in neutral? How many of you are still basically just, you know, dialed into CNN and waiting to see which side's right? Is your tribe going to win? Is that tribe going to win? Or, you know, what, whatever, whatever. You guys are focusing on the wrong things, you know, and you have six months left. I would strongly encourage all of you to make a set of goals for the next six months a set of goals that are really going to challenge you, a set of goals that just even the very thought of it's going to make you uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, that. That's what you need to do. And do it under the normal five categories of life, but really for the rest of this year, you know, it's it's financial, it's educational, it's spiritual, it's physical, and it's mental. What I'd suggest all of you do is focus on three with earnest the rest of the year. Focus on financial, physical, and uh, educational. Focus on those three categories. Primarily for the rest of the year. Set financial goals that are unrealistic. Set physical goals for yourself that are unrealistic. Make a list of the things that you, if you don't know what you don't know, if you literally are at the point where you're experiencing, um, you're coming, you know, there's the, what is it called, Julie? The stages of learning or the stages of of mastery. And the first one is called unconscious incompetence and it's conscious incompetence and it's...
1: Unconscious, let's see, conscious competence and unconscious... Competence, which I realize all sound the same, but if you slow it down, basically your first stage is you don't know what you don't know. You're basically kind of blissfully ignorant until something causes you to say, "Huh, maybe I didn't know it all." Then you get into uh, un- let's see, unconscious. No, then then you're then, consciously then you're con- incompetent. Then you're because you are literally conscious of your incompetence. This is when you do things like. Get a pre-listing package together. You learn some scripts. You, you know, Hire us you, you to know, be you your hire coaches. Us. You right. get out of your own way making some phone calls. You make a commitment to doing all of your lead follow-up, not just the ones you feel comfy and cozy about. And your skills start to increase. But you're
0: comfortable admitting that you don't know. You're comfortable. The best time to do that is when you don't have to. That's for sure. Because if you're doing that when you have to, when the market's changing around you, when you're having financial problems. Yeah, you're freaking out. Then you're freaking out and you're not going to have enough staying power financially to basically, you know, learn. This is the reason we're really doing everything in our power to motivate you guys to move past the acknowledgement that you are, you know, incompetent and, and take that... The, work
1: on it and not work just on it, acknowledge it, it but right? Do something about so it. So,
0: we're shocking you, hopefully, and, and exposing you to the fact that you need to move past the you know being ignorant to the fact that you're ignorant and then move to that next phase where you're going to be comfortable knowing that there's a lot you don't know. That is freedom in itself, by the way. And then, after that, you start becoming uh, you cool. things start to flow and they feel natural, they feel normal. You start developing that's confidence, right. and it's earned and that, confidence, that's it's called not conscious fake, conscious competence, right? You're
1: consciously competent you're still having to check yourself did i pre-qualify that person do i know what i'm doing with pricing you're still actively working on your skill and keeping your mind open those two middle stages are the best for coaching because you're open to it and you're you're really working and embracing and you know i love coaching calls like that where it's like all right this is what happened and maybe you're telling me a victory story, and maybe you're saying, "How could I have won instead of somebody else winning?" I, I think that's the best place for coaching. and then the 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 top category which everybody seems to aspire to, but is actually very dangerous, is uh, unconscious competence. This is total autopilot. You figure you've got it figured out. You're could you get veteran, complacent? You know you develop a little ego, things are and you know it's, it's easy to do that, especially when the market's kind of selling itself and it kind of looks like you're the reason and part, probably partially you are the reason. But then the market changes, and you can fall from that top category of mastery all the way back to the beginning if you wait too long, if something kicks your butt, if you're surprised, if you don't move with the technology, you don't move with what the market's willing to give you. And, and that's when agents really come unglued is when they're surprised by it.
0: And if it happens at a time when you're having financial problems or mm-hmm. when you're having a health problem Awful. or you're a certain age and you don't think you can fight back, then basically you're doomed. I mean that's what that's really what happens so so many of you that's what happened during the light the great recession and that's what's going to happen to many of you no matter how much you and I Julie and I tries to convince you to you know do the right things you're going to allow that to happen I realize there's nothing really we we can say what we're going to say we can do what we're going to do but so many of you just don't take action enough and you're going to have to assen- essentially look back upon listening to today's podcast and realize you should have taken action sooner and that's an unfortunate characteristic that many humans have. It's called basically being lazy. So you have to decide whether or not you're going to needlessly suffer or whether, you're, whether or not you know, you're going to move past that first phase. So many of you are fighting. It's just literally fighting, and mentally and emotionally, and sometimes even physically, unfortunately, to not ever admit that you're ignorant about something. And, that's, and I'll tell you, the ones that take the greatest, like when Julie and I are getting shit from somebody <laughs> online, from what, for what we say, it's the social networking centers of influence and past client crowd because mm-hmm. they're zealots. They don't want to be told what they're doing isn't relevant no matter what happens to the market and they'll argue about it until the cows come home because they just do not want to be even remotely conceived that, uh, that there might be an end to that scheme. And that's, you know, that's unfortunate for them because they will discover the hard way. And the ones that, uh, frankly, are the, like Julie said, the, the best coaching folks are the ones that have uh, are are moving consciously to the acceptance that the world is changing and that they need to change in lockstep or they'll be deemed irrelevant and those yeah, are the best yeah. coaching clients i
1: mean there, there's one really salient filter if you're not sure where you fall on that category ask yourself this question if you have three active listings right now and it takes 60 or 90 days to sell them Would you be able to hold on to them long enough for that seller not to fire you? Would you be able to get them to price it in such a way it would actually sell? Or how or does the thought of it taking ninety days to sell a property give you a mini heart attack?
0: Or or one hundred and eighty days? Or in some of our yeah,
1: I I gave that a light comparison. Right. Or how many
0: of you basically, if you had to take a listing today and it wasn't from your mama or your best friend (laughs) from high school, how many if if you had to compete for it, how many of you would have no clue how to do it
1: and not even return the call?
0: And right, exactly. And, And then basically, you know, you'd. Or you go on a listing and you lose, and then you basically rationalize your loss because, oh, they overpriced it. The other agent who got the listing overpriced it, or they must have known him for, you yeah, know, whatever. Exactly. In other words, you rationalize that the cards were stacked against you versus accepting the fact that you are incompetent and you didn't get the listing because the other agent beat you, right? So you got to get to that point, And when you do, when you break your ego down, you it's a, a sense of a fear. For many of you, but it's also a sense of freedom and liberation. Because once you start learning all the things that you should have probably learned in the first place, then you're going to get excited. Then you're going to see opportunity all over you or all around you. And then you're not going to feel those omnipresent senses of scarcity. So when people try to scare you that the zombie apocalypse is here and whatever whatever you're gonna go like i'm good i got my skill set i know how to get my skill set even yeah. sharper i know what to that's do That's exciting that course. is the exciting part. that's freedom
1: yeah i mean i'm thinking about uh one of my favorite coaching clients right now jen Gennaro in uh, louisiana one of our first calls together you know she'd been in our premier coaching she upgraded to accountability coaching with coach rochelle and then she upgraded to elite which is fairly typical of some of our coaching clients and i was going through you know her business with her and she said you know what Coach Rochelle got me to the point where I am actually a listing agent now and she carries listing inventory all the time. She knows how to negotiate. She's got tons of pendings all the time. It's really exciting to hear that and to hear the excitement and the confidence that she has. You know, what we're working on now is managing all of what she's got going on, all the spinning plates. But, you know, that's a different gen than maybe even two years ago. And I think that's awesome. And she's going to kill it in the next market. And she's killing it now because she's flexible. And because she's operating in conscious competence right now, but she's still open to learning. She's still polishing. She's still improving every single day.
0: Julie, have you ever wondered why people are attracted to us? I mean, other than the fact that I'm incredibly good looking.
1: (laughs) It definitely (laughs) is that.
0: (laughs) No, but seriously, have you ever wondered why they're attracted to us, why they listen to us in the first place?
1: Well, I don't know. I'd have to interview them, hopefully because they know we tell them the truth and we, you know, lay it down straight. without. I I think
0: there's a more core reason why to be honest with you. Well,
1: I hope it's because they know that we've walked in their shoes. I think that's a significant thing.
0: But even more than that.
1: Well, you tell me your thoughts. My,
0: th- my thinking is because w- they know that we're not complacent, mm-hmm. and they're attracted to our uh, the nature. They, they can sense within us the inner turmoil to want to be complacent. They can <laughs> sense it within themselves, yeah. and they see that we're punching through it, and we do it on a regular basis in every way that we can and I think they want to be like that too and so for a lot of them it's an inspirational thing. Yeah, I and hope I, so. And I think, this, I that, I think so. all the secondary reasons you mentioned are secondary, yeah. but obviously right. that's the primary reason because people want to, be attract, or they want to be attached to people that are not complacent really, right. at the end of the day. And guys that's the reason why this is one of the reasons why I think this is the number one listened to daily podcast in the nation for real estate professionals but it's also the reason why people will be attracted to you People will be attracted to you in your real estate business. People will be attracted to you in life because they see you're not complacent. They'll want to be around you because you inspire them, because you're not complacent, because you're not operating out of fear, and they want to feel those way, those elements and those things themselves. So I want you guys to think about that and how you could basically, you know, start absolutely taking course correction to become the best version of you because of all these changes. So Julie, it's Father's Day.
1: Yes, happy Father's Day.
0: Yeah, thank you. And uh, let's go celebrate it. Yeah, I want to go to the beach.
1: Over and out. Okay,
0: <laughs> bye. <laughs>